You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome again to another episode of the Revision Path Podcast. I'm Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I just want to mention a few things. First up, there is the audience survey. I really need your feedback so I can grow Revision Path and deliver more great content. Hit up revisionpath.com forward slash survey, fill it out, and you'll be entered to win a $100 Amazon.com gift card. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you've already done the survey, that's great. That's wonderful. You're awesome. But if you haven't, why not? I need your input. Don't leave me hanging here. Go and fill it out, revisionpath.com forward slash survey. Next up, we partnered with Creative Market to provide you a really great deal just in time for holiday shopping, Black Friday, all that stuff. Uh, just visit the Creative Market link in the show notes and use our promo code REVISIONPATH and save 20% on your next purchase. Creative Market has tons of graphics and themes and fonts. Uh, you'll really, I think, find something there that you like. That promo code is good until midnight central time on November 30th, so you've only got a few days to really make that happen, so go ahead and, and uh, check that out. Revision Path is brought to you by our awesome sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. Now, we're about to get into the thick of the holiday season. I was talking about Black Friday earlier. And if you're a small business owner or a freelancer with clients, I hope you've got your holiday email strategy in place so you can spend time with your friends and your loved ones and not have to worry about getting messaging out. If you don't have that set up already, let MailChimp help you out with that. MailChimp accounts are free for under 2,000 email addresses. And you can get up and running in no time flat. Sign up today at MailChimp.com. Hover takes all the hassle and friction out of registering domains. Probably the easiest thing that I like about Hover is their customer service. They have really great step-by-step instructions online, like knowledge base articles. Uh, They've got great email support and their famous no wait, no hold, no transfer phone service. So when you call them, you'll get a real live human being on the phone ready to help. Give Hover a try today and save 10% by using our discount code 50EPISODES. That's five zero episodes. Now to this week's show. When I talked with D'Angela Duff about why she transitioned out of web design to education, here's what she had to say. Like for me, the evidence of my work now are is, is some of my alumni. I have some very successful alumni and being able to educate them and impart to them some of my life philosophies and actually seeing them take that seriously and apply it to their life. Like it's much more rewarding to see someone excel than it is to create a website that's going to be down and you know or redeveloped within a year this is revision path let's start the show all right tell us who you are and what you do my name is d'angela duff and i was born and raised in utah alabama and i'm currently an associate industry professor as well as a co-director at NYU School of Engineering for their integrated digital media program within the technology, culture, and society department. But I'm also, I have a radio show, I'm also a DJ, and my artistic practice falls with photography, and I also freelance in web design and development. So I basically wear many hats. Wow. I have to start with, with Utah, Alabama, just <laughs> first off. For those that are listening, Utah is like right outside of Tuscaloosa, right? Yes, it's right outside of Tuscaloosa, and also it is not spelled like the state. It is actually exactly. E-U-T-A-W. 
<laughs> and so it's um yeah. So Utah is a really a very small town, but it's it's an extremely amazing town because my family's from there. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love being able to give a shout out to Utah. So I have to give a shout out to the amazing Utah. That's awesome. Was creativity like a big part of your childhood while you were there? What was kind of interesting? So I've been drawing since I think I came out of the womb. Like I would breathe and drink and eat and draw. I drew from a very, very small age. And my mom is an amazing seamstress. Like she actually is an educator. She was a a high school home economics teacher, but she did like a gazillion weddings, a gazillion prom dresses, and like an extraordinary just seamstress. And then my grandfather could pretty much create, like he was a builder. He could create anything. He could take nothing and create something out of nothing. So, and then my uncle was very much into, I guess I get my artistic nature from one of my uncles, my uncle Charles, because he was always drawing. So I had like creativity in different ways from various family members. So, but I guess I was really the only person in my family though, that just consistently was being creative. And what I mean by that, like every single day I had to draw in church, I was drawing. Like it was, Mm -hmm. it was just like, again, it was just like breathing. So it was um, just something that I did. I mean, it's it's something that I kind of had to do, I guess. So what's kind of interesting though, is like when I went to college and I have two undergraduate degrees, I have a a Bachelor of Science in Textile Engineering from Georgia Tech, and I have a BFA in Graphic Design from Georgia State, and I got my engineering degree first, and when I went to Georgia Tech, I actually stopped drawing within like a year. It's really weird, and um, because it was something that I did every single day up until that point. So I've never really thought about it in detail, like why that happened. I, I probably mm-hmm. should. But I guess I, I've parlayed my love of drawing to other creative areas. So that's kind of where I am now. Do you draw now? I don't draw now. Like I sketch and I have like lots of family members that, that are always at the time. I really love to do portraits and things. And so I've had like several family members like, can't you just, you know, do a portrait of, you know, my kid or whatever. And I was like, no. I just, it's just something, I don't know. It's really funny, like my grandfather was a truck driver for, I don't know, like 30 or 40 years. And I, and when he retired, I asked him if he missed truck driver and he was like, no. (laughs) 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 And so it's just like with the drawing, I don't know, I guess it served this purpose. And I guess it was just like a gateway to all these other creative fields. So, Yeah. But I used to draw a lot. So maybe I I drew enough for a lifetime. I I don't know. You and I kind of have, now that I'm thinking about it, we have a couple of things in common. First, you're from a small town in Alabama. I'm from a small town in Alabama. I'm from Selma. Your mother was a seamstress. My mother was also a seamstress. That's so awesome. I love Uh, that. Your grandfather was a builder. My grandfather, he was a a woodworker. Uh So he did a lot of like he could build. I mean, he really taught me how to build and work with wood. But I mean, like building desks and entertainment centers and even little toys and things, anything made out of wood. He could he could really just transform it into something. And he made candy. 
you make candy for about 30, 35 years. That's, that's amazing. So, but my, yeah. my grandfather actually built the house that my, my, actually my grandmother passed away this year and my mm-hmm. grandparents were married for 59 years. And she actually lived in the house that my grandfather and his brother built from the ground up. So they lived in that house for 59 years and it's still standing. My cousin's living in it now with his family. So my grandfather is a pretty extraordinary, was an extraordinary builder. So Sounds like it. And again, another, this is another point of, of um, connection. My grandfather built the house that my grandmother and like my mom and her siblings grew up in still standing today. Awesome. I was actually just there a few months ago. That's amazing. That is so awesome. Let's talk about the work that you're doing now. I know you mentioned you're a professor at NYU. What subjects do you teach? Tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing. Okay, so I actually teach a lot of different subjects. So the program is called Integrated Digital Media. I'm currently teaching a course called Visual Foundation Studio, which essentially is a course about visual design basics, so color typography, layout, meaning, and things of that nature. And then the other course I'm teaching is called Dynamic Web Applications. It's the second Mm -hmm. course in a sequence of web courses, and we're actually covering like content management systems right now. So WordPress, Drupal, Symfony, Ruby on Rails. And last semester, I taught the intro class to that. But I've also taught classes on motion graphics, Last year, I taught a programming class. I've also taught intro to interface design classes. And I've just done a lot of different classes that deal with media and so forth. So the the integrated digital media, is this a like a department or a program that's within NYU? Is it like a graduate program, undergraduate? Yes, so it's actually both. It's an undergraduate and graduate program. You can get a Bachelor of Science as well as a Master of Science in Integrated Digital Media. It is actually within the School of Engineering at NYU. Nice. And actually, the School of Engineering is new to NYU. Previously, the institution uh, was called NYU Poly for short, and we Mm -hmm. officially merged with NYU this past January. And previous to that, um, NYU had a school of engineering a very, very, very long time ago. So they've essentially brought engineering back to NYU. So our program is approximately 150 students. Our grad program is really popular because it is you can go full-time or part-time. So we have a mm-hmm. lot of part-time students, and it's research active. So we have the Brooklyn Experimental Media Center. I'm the co-director of the program alongside Luke Dubois. And Luke is actually the director of the Brooklyn Experimental Media Center. So we have research partnerships with like AT&T, the MTA, so students get to work directly with those companies to do research and development, which is pretty cool for them. But the program, the master's program is super short because it's only three semesters. So Mm -hmm. in two out of those three semesters, you actually have to work on your thesis. So you have to kind of know what you want to do coming in. And it's unlike other programs that are similar. The majority of the programs that are similar to our program are MFA programs. And usually those MFA programs are two years and full time. And what's really great about our program is that it is within the School of Engineering, so you have access to computer scientists, mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, and so on and so forth. 
What types of projects are, are students working on through this program? Um, so right now, actually, augmented reality is um, a really hot research area. And mm-hmm. for those you know, who might not know what augmented reality is, it basically, you can enable a device to basically augment like the physical world. So by holding up a screen that has augmented reality software on it, you can actually get additional information. But like the grossest and crassest way of putting it is if you've ever seen like the, one of the Terminator movies, it's almost mm-hmm. like, you know, like the way that Arnold could like see through his eyes and like additional information. But obviously it's through an external device. It's not like internalized mm-hmm. in your eye or whatever, but that's actually probably coming at some point. And then the other area right now that's really popular with our students is actually brainwave technology. There's this new device called the NeuroSky that basically allows you to measure brainwave activity. And a project that one of our students did is basically by wearing this device, she connected it to an image database. And based on your feelings, these images are pulled from a database to reflect how you're feeling. So if you're happy, the images are happy. If you're sad, they reflect more sad images. And so you do that by tagging the images, you know, with these emotions and then sort of cross-checking to see if there's a match. And then the third area that our students are really into right now is the whole UX movement, user experience when it comes to web and mobile interfaces. So that's only a few of very many because we essentially, our program is based on like four building blocks and those building blocks are image, whether it's photography, 2D or 3D animation, you know, drawings, whatever, some sort of visual representation, sound, whether it's music, sound design, interactivity, which is generally programming, but it could also be just communication and then storytelling. So our students basically combine those four different building blocks and either choose to concentrate in game design development or web design development, mobile application development, augmented reality, physical computing, just creative technology. So it's a a really exciting time, in my opinion, to be a student because, like, I come from a very conservatory, traditional, like, my graphic design degree was very... I had an awesome education, but it was very, very focused and very specialized. But there are a lot of curriculums now that allow students to become what I call T-shaped people, which is a term that was coined by IDEO, a design firm. And a T-shaped person is a person who has breadth as well as depth. And depending on who you talk to, there are pros and cons of specialization versus generalization. But I believe in both. I believe that you should have like a broad base in education while specializing in one or two things. So I don't believe in in solely in either. So I don't think that you should solely be a specialist, and I don't believe you should solely be a generalist, but I think that you should be T-shaped, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I tell people now, particularly when it comes to education, like there's so many more opportunities now for learning, whether it's the web or design or programming. There's so many more opportunities now than there were really just almost 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, like the the whole higher education market, well, I won't say market, but the whole higher education sphere around technology and design is just, it's grown so much. I mean, before, I mean, I was thinking when I was going to college in like the late 90s that you could major in, I went to Morehouse, but like you could either major in art or you could major in computer science. And I really wanted to do web design. And 
I, I don't think Morehouse really had an art major then, so I sort of did computer science thinking that they would have some sort of an inroad into web design mm-hmm. in some kind of way. And my advisor is just basically like, you should probably change your major because you're not going to find that here. Whereas now there's a lot of schools that have these really interesting and varied and complex majors. I mean, even just what you're mentioning with the uh, with augmented reality and brainwaves and things like that, you can really almost create your own type of discipline that you want to go into. Yeah, totally. Like there's so many choices. Yeah, it, it really is. And um, programs like ours are, they're popping up all over the place. And our particular program is called Integrated Digital Media. But one of the problems with these programs is that they're all called something different. So there's a program at Parsons that's called Design, Art, and Technology. There are programs called Emerging Media. So, like, for students who are trying to find programs, like, and then, like, Art Center has a program called Media Design that's similar. So, it's not like industrial design or product design where you could actually do a pretty thorough competitive analysis. And so, like, the barrier to, like, doing, like, due diligence between all the programs is first trying to figure out what they're all called. And so, and then, you know, there are also programs that are coined in interaction design or interactive design. So it's it can be a little confusing if you're trying to shop around and compare and contrast. But there are a lot of programs out there now. And what is really cool is what you said, it really allows someone to tailor um, their education. Like in our undergrad program, essentially students get 24 electives, 24 elective credits Mm-hmm. which is a lot for them to explore and hopefully focus because their base curriculum is very broad. So I always encourage students to also focus and specialize in addition to getting breadth. So as a, a design educator, I mean, I, I feel like even saying that is a bit limiting. Yeah. But but I would say like as an educator, what do design students or students that want to pursue design, what do they need to know kind of coming into today's working world? I think they need to be, first of all, they need to be extremely curious and proactive. And they need to basically learn how to learn because technology is changing at such a breakneck speed that you need to be able to keep up. And unless you're working for a company that can pay you to go to workshops or to take courses, which isn't the case most times, especially if you're working at a small startup, you need to be very agile and you need to be able to actually utilize your resources. And there are a lot of amazing resources online. I would kill for the resources that students have access to when I was in school. So like before, you know, the internet, I would buy three different programming books on the same programming language just so I could read three different author voices and three different descriptions. But now, like, you have, like, just literally thousands and millions of cross-referencing that you can do via the Internet. So it's, it's pretty pretty darn awesome. And all, you know, like, video free video tutorials. I remember I had to, like, pay $100 for a CD-ROM of After Effects tutorials <laughs> um, when I was in school and like now, like you can just go on YouTube and there's like a gazillion tutorials in, on any subject that you want. And NYU students and, and at several other universities, 
they usually partner with um, lynda.com, and lynda.com is an amazing resource um, that students ha- get for free. If you're not a student, you have to pay for it. So I'm always encouraging students to actually take advantage of all the resources that they have, particularly while they're in college. And in addition, in our program, we also have a pretty extensive equipment room where they can check out cameras and so forth, um, video cameras, sound kits, and just all sorts of stuff. We also have a maker space with maker bots and 3D scanners and large format printers and drill presses and laser cutters. And I think students should really <laughs> just want to explore. I mean, like, like, and also have fun. And just like, it really goes back to how I started this part of the conversation is about being curious and wanting and loving to learn new things and not being afraid to try new things and not limit yourself, but also just to experiment and play and have fun and expose yourself to as, you know, many different things as possible so that you can decide, you know, on what your true passion is. Because I always, you know, tell students there's what you know, and then there's what you know that you don't know, but then there's mm-hmm. also what you don't know that you don't know. You know, so yeah. like, it's like there are certain concepts or things that aren't even in your mental par- you know, like in, in your mental concept that you wouldn't even fathom. So like you have to kind of explore and you don't have to lock in so early on, you know, what you might be interested in. And so it's never too late to just learn something new. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons why. I'm an educator. I just love the process of learning. I'm a lifelong learner. I think there's always something new to learn. And I just, you know, have a passion for learning. So I try to transmit that to my students. I don't know if I'm successful or not, but I really try very hard to do that. Tell me about Polished Solid. Okay, so Polished Solid is basically... My web address, but it's also my DJ name, so I go by DJ Polish Solid. And Polish Solid is actually, I've never revealed this to anyone. I'm so, oh, wow. this is going to be like exclusive. exclusive. So, my show, my radio show is called No Turn Unstone, and No Turn Unstone, as well as Polish Solid, are both songs by one of my favorite artists, and his name is Luke Vibert. He's English, and he his the first album I listened to by him was this album called Throbbing Pouch, and he's been recording ever since. So it's really my homage to Luke Vibert and how amazing he is. And I also just liked the term polished solid in regards to my creative process and more specifically my design process because I'm a a big believer in iteration and continuous improvement. And so the polished solid is like, you know, really making sure that what you're creating is of quality mm-hmm. and the polish, like the polish is like, you know, it's like motion. It's like if you're polishing a table, you're like, you're, you're continuously moving. So it's, it's like also a reference to just the design iteration process. So yeah, people ask me all the time, and I've never told anyone. So wow. you, you, you're the first. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you. Yeah. Rashida White, who I, I've also interviewed, when she told me about you and said, oh, you have to you have to talk to D'Angelo, because she was mentioning to me, it's like, oh, and D'Angelo designed all these websites in the 90s for, like, famous artists and things like this. When did you sort of 
first kind of get that bug to do web design and what are some of the, the projects that you're probably best known for? Okay, that's a great question. So when I graduated from Georgia Tech and I actually enrolled immediately in the BFA program at Georgia State in graphic design. So I actually went to school for eight years straight. But when wow. I was going to school full-time at Georgia State, I was also working full-time at the College of Computing at Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. And what was kind of interesting is I actually got a a job as a secretary for the College of Computing at Georgia Tech, and I wasn't doing anything but answering phones. And so there was this software program called FileMaker Pro on, on my machine, And I was, again, I'm curious about learning, and I didn't know what a database was at the time, but I quickly figured it out. And we had this key issue, like I had to always distribute these keys. There were like hundreds of keys. And to make a long story short, I created this key database in FileMaker Pro. And once my boss, you know, found out what I had done, she basically created this new title for me called Office Automation Specialist. So I went from being a secretary to just actually creating like cool technologies for the college computing to use. So that FileMaker Pro was like my entryway into like, and also we were using Unix-based systems and so I was also teaching myself Unix and all this kind of stuff. And that's when Mosaic, which is the first web browser, came out. And because it could display text and images, I'm a huge bibliophile, so I love the word. But I'm also Mm -hmm. into photography, so I also like images. So with this new thing called the web, you could have both. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I need to learn how to do this. I'm leaving out some stuff. But I basically, to make a long story short, I taught myself HTML and by reverse engineering sites. And I actually created the first website for the College of Computing at Georgia Tech. I wouldn't look at it. I mean, it's abysmal. It's, it's god-awful. But it was my very first. Um, well, it's the 90s. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think all web design was kind of not great in the 90s. So. No, but it was my very <laughs> first website. So from there, I basically just started doing freelance websites. So I, Jason Orr is a really big friend of mine, and he runs something in Atlanta called the Funk Jazz Cafe. So I created several iterations of his, so I'm really thankful of his website for him allowing me to do that because I actually hone my skills very much. Funk Jazz Cafe is like an arts and cultural like just institution. They have these amazing concerts, but it's, it's more than just a concert and so on and so forth. And so when I graduated from Georgia State, there was this company in New York that I wanted to work for called Peeps. And Peeps basically did all of the artist websites for BMG, which was a lot of artists. And I've always loved music. I'm a huge Prince fan. You don't want to get me started talking about Prince. I've been (laughs) like, I'm an avid record collector since 10. I've been collecting music. And so like, I knew that this company, it was called NetMedia, but the the website they had was called peeps.com. And so I actually applied while I was still living in Georgia. And they wrote me back and they said, well, if you lived in New York, we would hire you, but um, you don't. So we can't, you know, we're not going to pay blah, blah, blah to to bring you up here and so on and so forth. But I took that as rejection. And I was like just devastated because I really, really wanted to work for this company. But to make a long story short, some things happened at work. And I basically moved to New York fairly shortly after 
I moved to New York on a Wednesday. I sent out a lot of resumes on a Thursday. I had about five interviews on a Friday, and I had a job by Monday. Um, yeah, because I come from a family that if you don't have a job, and I actually quit, you know, I really quit my job and moved to New York to sort of make it as a designer. And I was mm-hmm. really just like hell bent on getting a, you know, a job in a web design firm. And, and I ended up going with this company called Method 5. And then after working for them for about six months, you know, I was like, you know what, I really want to work for NetMedia. I'm going to try again. So I applied again to the same company that, uh, that had the Pete's property, and it turned out that they were in the exact same building that I was already working in, and I didn't know that. Wow. And, I, and to go on my interview, I actually just had to go on the elevator. And so to make a long story short, I actually got the job at NetMedia, and NetMedia was actually a really amazing place for me. So I guess the largest website I've ever worked on was for David Bowie, and I actually got to work on two different versions of his site. The very first version, I was just like a senior designer, and I was in charge of part of the site. But the second version of DavidBoy.com, I was the art director at NetMedia by that time, and four different designers pitched for the look and feel of it. And to be honest with you, there was another designer there. His name's Dan Schechter. He's a fantastic guy, and he's one of my favorite designers. And I was like, I know David Boy is going to pick Dan, so I'm just going to have fun. It kind of goes back to have fun and just submit a version. And to make a long story short, actually, David Boy chose my design. Wow. So I was able to art direct my own design, which is like really pretty darn awesome. And also, and but David Boy also was the best client and the worst client. The best client in that <laughs> he once he approved the direction, he didn't tell us, you know, make it bigger, change the color. He was like, I wouldn't want you to come into the recording studio to tell me how to do things. So I'm not gonna, you know, tell you guys how to create websites. That's what you do. So that is the only client I have ever had that didn't give any, you know, like tweaks or anything. You, I had total creative freedom, and it was amazing, which is almost unheard of when you're working for a client. And so he essentially ruined me for working. Was that how he was the worst? Yes, that's how how he was the worst (laughs) because – now, you know, it's just like dealing with other clients and they have all these tweaks and stuff. And I just want to go, I wish you were David Bowie. <laughs> I wish you were David Bowie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but at NetMedia, I also designed sites for, I've designed so many sites, I can't even remember. I've designed it for Alicia Keys, for Britney Spears, for The Roots, for NSYNC. I was designing like a site a week when I, I worked at NetMedia some 41, Avril Lavigne, just lots and lots and lots oh. of um, musicians' websites. And also I was designing and developing them. So like not only did I do the visual design, but I also coded all of them and did the information design and all that. And then for those that I didn't do, I was also art directing a lot um, of other ones as well because I was the art director for the, the company. So... I also got to do like DVD menu interface for Sarah McLachlan's Mirrorball DVD, which was really exciting for me at the time because I always wanted to do like a DVD menu interface. So yeah, so I've I've designed enough websites in my lifetime. I worked for NetMedia for five years, and mm-hmm. it's it's pretty true, especially in the beginning. I was really probably doing like a site a week, so. 
I know for a fact that I did over a hundred sites for them. So I've created a lot of websites and I still do it as a freelance practice, not as much as I used to, but it's kind of like that, that drawing metaphor, just like one day I just stopped. I was like almost every day. And so the same thing, I was creating so many websites. I mean, but it was a little bit more than that too. Like one of the issues I had with being and still with the web design and developer is that you really have no legacy. So I was putting all this Mm. time and energy and creating all this stuff that was going to be obsolete within a year because people are constantly redesigning their websites. And because I'm really big into media and music in particular, and, and like physical books, you know, I'm still into like what artifact do you have to show for what you've created mm. and for to be a web designer and developer is can be kind of soul crushing yeah. because um like it's ephemeral. It's, it's just like air. I mean, is that's the reason why I kind of stopped doing um, as many as I mean, and, it, and basically the reason why I transitioned into education, because like for me, the evidence of my work now are is, is some of my alumni. I have some very successful alumni and being able to educate them and impart to them some of my life philosophies and actually seeing them take that seriously and apply it to their life. Like it's much more rewarding to see someone excel than it is to create a website that's going to be down and, you know, or redeveloped within a year. So that's one of the reasons why I made the shift. And while I was working at NetMedia, I actually was teaching part-time at the University of the Arts in Philly. And I just, um, they had a full-time position opened up. So I decided to transition from industry to education. My salary was literally cut below half of what I was making, but it was just like more rewarding for me personally. And sometimes, you know, like obviously there there are instances where I wish I would have remained in the industry in terms of finances, but like I don't regret the impact that I've had on some of my students' lives. And you can't, you know, replace that. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey so far. You're a member of, of several different professional organizations. I just remember this from your bio. Mm-hmm. You're a member of AIGA, IXDA, CAA, etc. Mm-hmm. What types of benefits are there for, for, let's say, for working designers now? What sort of benefits are there to join professional organizations like these. And the reason that I'm asking this is because, so I'm a member of AIGA as well, and I do work with the National Diversity and Inclusion Task Force. And so part of what I do is HBCU outreach. I talk to HBCUs about setting up student groups. And probably one of the biggest takebacks that I've gotten from those different colleges is that students don't see the value of, of being a member, essentially. It's not like... The analogy that I had was they're like, well, if you're a doctor and you join like the American Medical Association, then that's something that says you're like board certified to practice and this, that and the third. Whereas if you're a designer and you're a member of, say, AIGA or something like that, it doesn't really, I guess, have that same type of weight with your career. So I guess from your perspective, what sort of benefits are there for joining these types of organizations and how have they been beneficial to you? I guess that's a tricky question. First and foremost, I always encourage students actually to join AIGA specifically. And the reason 
being is that AIGA normally has like really awesome designer talks. And so when I started out, it was really important for me to hear from working professionals and also to see what they were doing. And I felt that AIGA was the best place. I've never gotten like like a job through like AIGA or anything like that. It was just more my personal growth as a designer and that due diligence of constantly educating myself and also like observing how designers presented themselves when they were giving talks. You know, some are very casual, some are very professional and trying to figure out what kind of designer I wanted to be. How did I want to position myself when I eventually gave, you know, talks and things of that nature. So like for me, it was more for research purposes. And so I would highly recommend that, you know, students like join for that reason alone. And then obviously there's also the AIGA job board, which you have to remember to log, you know, log in to see some of that. But then, you know, you can argue that there are a gazillion other job boards because like 37 Signals, they have a job board and there are these other job boards that you have access to that you don't have to be a, a member of. But I think, and then also I just, I like AIGA's conferences. You know, I want to support their programming in, the, in regards to, it's kind of like why you want to support your alumni association of whatever school, you know, that you graduated from. It's like to, um, I don't know, you know, keep, you know, good programming, have, make sure, you know, that they get really awesome speakers to sort of bring the next like generation, giving, kind of giving back. Yeah, giving back to the community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got you. I understand but that. But for a student, I really do think it's it's really awesome. Like it's, so there's, you know, one kind of thing you get out of the classroom, but in all my classes, I always either take them to visit a, an actual firm. So like last semester, I took my web class to Tumblr and, or I bring in designers to the classroom to talk, you know, about their career trajectory. How did they get where they are currently from when they graduated? And I think those hearing as many conversations like that as possible is really important for a student or to see how a designer or artist has or creative technologist has evolved over a course of time and they usually do that in those talks i think is um is one of the best reasons why to um to actually join now you mentioned that you're between philadelphia and new york city a lot what does each city offer for you creatively is there one that you prefer over the other in the beginning, was so I currently live in Brooklyn. I've been back in Brooklyn for two years, and I lived in Philly for, I can't even remember, 10 or 14 years, somewhere in there. And then previous to that, I was in New York, and I lived in the Lower East Side and Harlem. And I moved to New York in 97 the first time, and I moved to Philly in 2003. So I was in New York for five years before I moved to Philly. And when I first moved to Philly, I literally cried every single time I had to go back to Philly because I loved New York so much. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating, it, but it took me about two years to actually get used to Philly because it's a really different vibe than New York. What's really great about New York is that it's literally the melting pot. Like every nationality, every race, every creed, it just everything. And, and I felt very comfortable here. There's no segregation. 
And then public transit is amazing. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why I moved from the South, that actually the number one reason, I kid you not, that I moved from the South is that I do not like to drive. And obviously I can drive, but um, down South it's all about, you know, what ride you have and, mm-hmm. you know, what, how many cars you got. And like, that's mm-hmm. not my, my deal. And I love public transportation. I love to walk. What was great about Philly is I could walk to work every day. It took me about 30 minutes. So I really loved walking. And so, but as I began to get used to Philly, I realized that Philly is actually an amazing city. And if I couldn't live in New York, I would actually live in Philly. So Philly's great in that there's lots of like arts and culture and music in Philly. It's smaller than New York, obviously, so it's more manageable. The only thing about Philly that I personally don't like, it is very sort of segregated and cliquish. Mm -hmm. Obviously, in Center City, it's okay, but all the communities, there's like pockets of communities. And that's like the only thing I don't like about Philadelphia. But other than that, Philly is actually a pretty awesome city. Really, really awesome. And that they, I feel like maybe it's because New York is so big and there's so much going on that it's hard to actually find out everything that's going on. But mm-hmm. in Philly, because it's more manageable, I feel like there's almost always something going on in regards to like, you know, crafts. There's a huge craft mu- uh, movement there or art or music or design. And, and you start seeing the same people. You sort of find your your people, so to speak, at all these events. So it's kind of great. Whereas in New York, there's so many things that you can do that I don't think you can make the same kind of connections with people that you can in Philly. But I mean, with anything in any city, there's always pros and cons. But for I like Philadelphia has my favorite live music venue of any place so far that I've been. And that's on World World Cafe Live, they have an amazing sound system. And I actually, and but actually in New York, uh, the counterpart is Joe's Pub has also, but it's like a smaller venue than the one in Philly. So again, there's always like sort of pros and cons. What do you think is the most important thing that you've learned from your work? Like from all the work that you've done, the the educating and teaching and designing like what's the most important thing that you've learned i think the most important thing that i've learned is to actually dream big and i really wish that someone would have told me that when i was younger and my mom who's amazing and she has been so supportive of me and very positive because when i was a teenager and probably through my 20s i was very negative you know like i always felt that i wasn't good enough and I don't know. I just, but I kept, kept at it. And I set these goals for myself. Like I wanted to move to New York and become a competitive designer. I did that. You know, when I was even younger, I wanted to work, work in a record store. Like when I was 10, like, like I did that. So like I mm-hmm. set all these like goals, but they weren't like, you know, like to go to the moon or become president or something like that. And I could have had like much larger goals. And, you know, and, but with that being said, I could also have larger goals for myself now. You know, like it's it's never too late until you're, you know, in the ground. Right. But I wish that I guess you can pretty much do whatever you set your mind to. I mean, obviously, there are certain things you might not be able to do, for instance. But I don't know. It's that would be the one thing that I've learned that if you put your mind to something, you can do it. So like with all these like new technologies and stuff. So I'm obviously an educator. I'm teaching students all this stuff that I actually taught myself. 
because I didn't really go to school for the stuff that I'm teaching. I actually taught myself, uh, like in terms of web design development, I didn't go to school for that. You know, I actually, you know, reverse engineered a lot of sites. And then when the books started coming, which, you know, came much later, you know, I would get the books and then when people started putting tutorials and stuff online. So it's just like a constant drive to be constantly learning. But I could have applied that, you know, mentality to anything, whether it was like starting my own business or anything like that. So I don't know. That's the one thing that I would want. What are you excited about at the moment? Is there anything in particular, like a certain topic or or anything? I'm a huge music lover. Right now I'm all about music. I'm actually taking a class at this place in New York called Dove Spot, which is actually extraordinary. I'm like super, super excited. I have two amazing instructors because I also love being a student. So one's DJ Reborn and the other one is OP Explanation Point, And they're just like amazing. So I often take classes every now and, and again to actually be a student, to, to feel what it's like to be a student to make sure that, you know, I don't forget that in relationship to my own students. But, and I've done a lot of workshops and classes, but I have never been as excited about taking a class as I am right now. I am having a a blast and a ball. So there's like, I know that's probably not the most exciting answer to hear. There's a lot of stuff going on in technology right now. And I have like a love-hate relationship with technology. Obviously, I'm steeped in technology. I use it all the time. I teach it. But I do think that, again, with everything, it has pros and cons. And I was actually eating out last night, and I looked over at a table. There were about six people, and four of them were on, like, you know, their phones. Um, They Mm -hmm. weren't talking to one another. And I go, like, what is the world coming to? You know, you got people there breathing, you know, people, and you're not going to talk to them. And it was just just extraordinary. So, like, for me, music is very powerful. And, um, and, and just, like, the music industry has really tanked, and music has become devalued. And it's really has – music has really saved my life personally. It's, like, one of the only constant in my life. It never fails so it's it's extremely important to me. And I know like a lot of times when I talk to some of my colleagues, they just sort of just dis- kind of dismiss it. It's everything to me. So I'm all about music. So and, and technology is really great. And I find it you can do awesome stuff with it when it works. But when it doesn't work, it can be extremely frustrating. That's pretty much what I'm excited about is music. And when I'm not excited about music, that's when I know that I should just, you know, it's over it's over then so that's my my number one i feel you about the kind of the degradation of the kind of the music industry in that way i was watching this this uh huff post live interview with boys to men and and they were talking about how now you know it's music has gone from arranging an entire album to just arranging like a track yeah. or even now it's even distilled down into just doing a beat, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, this is something that used to be like the, just a single element within an entire, you know, album. Now it's like, that's the one thing you're known for is, is making a beat or producing a track and not really for like this body of, of work kind of thing, which now that I think about it is analogous to what you were saying earlier with uh, designers and how ephemeral it is, the fact that a lot of the work that we do is becomes obsolete so quickly. Yeah. There's an interesting kind of parallel there. 
it's a one-to-one relationship. And so like I have had pretty profound musical experiences. Like I remember the first time I listened to Prince's Dirty Mind album from the beginning to the end as a 10 year old. I know exactly (laughs) where I was. I can, you know, view it, you know, just like yesterday. And it was an experience. It's like, it's a memory. It's something that I'll take with me to my grave. But Mm -hmm. like a lot of these, you know, online experiences, it doesn't translate. I mean, it really doesn't translate. And like nothing, it's nothing like sitting with a pair of headphones and laying down on the floor and really listening. I mean, really listening to someone who has, you know, like poured their heart and soul and into creating, you know, something. So it's nothing like actually seeing the real photograph, you know, like not a representation of the photograph on the computer, but the actual photograph, like being able to see the scale. Uh, Like Chuck Close is one of my favorite artists. And like looking at a Chuck Close in a book versus seeing an actual Chuck Close is like night and day. It's just not the same thing. So it really, you know, like we're, we're digitizing everything Ebooks are all the rage now, and it's really great, you know, when you don't, when you move to not have to move all those books. But yeah. at the same token, like I remember when I first started working in New York, um, one of my coworkers told me that they could tell whether or not a designer was actually a good designer by whether or not they had books. And then, and then looking at those books, what books did they have? So, like, we're losing that, you know, because a lot of people, they don't, if they do have books, is they're on their Kindle or whatever. And so you can't really have a conversation by walking in someone's office and saying, hey, you have that book. I read it, you know, and let's have a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. You don't get to do those kind of things anymore unless there's someone like me who still has books and still buys books. And I still buy CDs. I still buy albums. It's really funny. All my friends, even my father asked me, like, why do you buy music? <laughs> and I go, because <laughs> I'm trying to support um, in any way that I can. So those, you know, musicians, like I would just die if Luke Vibert had to become like a, a postal worker or something like that. I mean, like I have to, you know, be able to support his music in wh- whichever way that I can so he can continue to make it. And I've actually like I one of my a musician that I follow for a very long time, I'll make him remain nameless. I basically quit music because he couldn't afford to support himself and his family. And that's mm-hmm. kind of sad. And he, he was an amazing musician. And I don't know what he ended up doing, but I, that, that's really a travesty in my opinion. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like, what do you think you'll be doing? One of my primary focuses right now is actually to grow our program. So one thing that's going on right now in education is enrollment is actually dropping all around at a lot of institutions. And it can be attributed to a couple of things, in my opinion. One, the baby boomers, like their time has come and gone. And the people are having less and less children mm-hmm. every year. So that means there will be less and less students. And then in the Northeast in particular, there are a lot of different schools and universities. There's a glut, actually. And so we're working really hard to try to increase visibility for our program And just green, a graduate awesome alumni. So like a measure of success for me would be if, you know, we can grow our program. So that's like one of my main like professional goals. As far as a personal goal is concerned, I've been doing my radio show for 10 years now. I started in 2005. 
Congratulations. Thank you. It'll be 10 years actually next year. So I'm kind of jumping the gun. And my commitment to it, it's the first thing to go like when I have, when work calls me and I want to be more consistent with that and really push my show and not allow that to falter because of like whatever work commitments. And I also like, you know, like one of my bucket lists is, you know, like actually DJing and a club. So like that's one of my bucket list personal goals. And so also would love to, I will want to work on a photography book because there's um, one of my heroes is Dr. Deborah Willis. She has published several books about black photography. My favorite of hers is Reflections in Black. And actually there is a documentary that was just released called Through the Lens Darkly. That's actually based on the photographs that she has in that book. And I highly recommend it. The book as well as the documentary so I would also kind of like to follow in the footsteps of my mentor and publish a book of um, photography. So I've done some photography book projects that were like personal, but like on like a national level. So those are like some of my personal and professional goals I'd like to do. But like in the, in the case of the photography book, it's still very traditional and there's not a technology, you know, right now, like everybody and their mom is creating an app, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, but it's, it's, there's so many apps. And I, I just, as I get older, I find myself sort of um, gravitating back to like these physical artifacts because of the place that technology is taking us. So again, like I said, I mean, I could tell you I wanted to create all this wacky stuff. And it's cool, but like I kind of did that with websites. Like I, I dove in, I created a lot of websites and I feel like, you know, there's really no legacy there unless you go like to archive.org or whatever and look them all up. So I really been like focusing on like people like, and, and so that's another reason why I, I'm teaching, like actually interacting with um, young adults and hopefully shaping their career path and goals in life. And so I've just really been concentrating on, um, you know, real things. Uh, Right. No, I I understand. I get what you're saying. And I think a lot of designers now do that because I feel like a lot of people that even I've talked to, they have some corresponding real world physical hobby. Yeah. That's different from what they do on the web. Yeah. Another thing, too, to be honest with you, is that I don't know what sitting in front of a computer all these years, and I'm in front of the computer a lot, I mean, is doing to my my vision. Like, it hasn't been around long enough for them to do the research to figure out, like, how it is actually affecting us. And I am kind of concerned that, you know, I'm spending most of my life in front of a box, so it's a real concern. So that's what's really cool about physical computing and some of the interactive installations that are more that basically taking technology out of the box, so to speak, and, and making it more spatial, you know, versus like these handheld devices. So like I'm more like one of my favorite artists is Golan Levin. And he like creates these amazing like interactive installations that are participatory and it actually allows you to use your entire body instead of just your fingers and things. 
So like if I was going to, you know, do something in the technology sphere, it would definitely have to be something that's out of the computer because I've done so much in the computer that is to the point where I need to like get out of the computer. So that's the reason why like I'm really interested in doing more photography projects recently and um, and the whole music thing. Now you've mentioned Prince a lot, so yes. I gotta ask this: <laughs> favorite Prince album? Oh my god! Oh my god! That's well. First of all, you know he just came out with two. Um, yeah, CDs, um, uh-huh. a couple weeks ago. Electrum, Plectrum, and Artificial Age. You got it. And he's gonna be on Saturday Night Live this Saturday. Yep. Um, and actually, Chris Rock is going to host it. And Chris Rock hasn't been on SNL in like twenty years or something crazy like that. So my favorite Prince record is it's a tough one. That's a very hard question. I can tell you my favorite Prince song, bar, bar none, okay. is um, Joy and Repetition. Joy and Repetition is my favorite Prince song because, again, it goes back to, it, it's a reference to the design process <laughs> of iteration. And so, I, I don't know. And then just like life in general is very repetitive. I think you should get joy out of waking up every day. And so I just love Joy and Repetition. So that's my favorite Prince song by far. But I'm definitely more into old Prince than the newer Prince. So like Dirty Mind was my first Prince album. 1999 was my first Prince concert. So I was able to see Vanity Six in the time as, wow. you know, like a 12-year-old. Thank you, Mom. <laughs> and my aunt and uncle took me to that concert. I will never forget it. And so I've seen him a gazillion times in my lifetime. But I guess if I had to go to a desert island and only take one album, it would probably be, I think it would probably be Controversy. I think so. I'm not sure, though. It, it, I think it would probably change depending on what day you asked me that question, because it's hard mm-hmm. to choose one Prince album. Yeah, it, it is. I'm partial to Prince. I think it was his 80, 1980, 1981 album. Yeah, the second album. Yeah, Prince is a great, yeah, that's a great album. I mean, all those albums are great. Even For You, the very first album is actually an amazing album. It's just a different kind of Prince, which is yeah. really cool. You can get whatever kind of Prince you want. <laughs> and like one of the records that a lot of people never talk about um, and I love is like Prince's Come album. It's, it's called Come. It's an amazing mm-hmm. album. And a lot of people hate on it because like that's when he was embarked in that controversy with Warner Brothers and stuff like that. But this is like an example of like a guy who has a legacy, you know, which is yeah. like and has impacted people. Like my personal motto is to inspire others as others have inspired me. And Prince has definitely inspired me and I know a gazillion other folks. So it must be awesome to be Prince. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find you online? So my website is polishsolid.com and it's P-O-L-I-S-H-E-D. Solid, S-O-L-I-D.com. And then I have design.polishsolid.com, dj.polishsolid.com, photo.polishsolid.com. And then for my radio show, I have archives on samurai.fm out of Japan, play.fm out of Vienna, percussion lab out of Brooklyn, Mixcloud out of London. I broadcast live on Mixler out of London. And I also post on archives on Beatport and on lots of different places. And also 
Grown Folks Music, which is this music blog. They usually post my mixes, and I have to give a shout-out to them because Ivan Orr, who is one of the editors, he's in Virginia, and I love shouting out to my Southerners. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so that's where you can find some of my um, work. Nice, nice. D'Angelo Duff, this has been just just an amazing conversation, just hearing about all of the work that you've done, the, the work that you're currently doing with teaching, and even just geeking out about music. This has been a really great conversation. So thank you so much. I really do appreciate oh, it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I can't believe that we have so much in common. It is so crazy. Right. I don't know. It's the Southern thing. It's the Alabama. It's a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's the Southern thing for <laughs> sure. But thank you. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. And that's it for this week's show. Big thanks to D'Angela Duff for an amazing conversation. And, of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about D'Angela's work and her music through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Don't forget about our audience survey, uh, revisionpath.com forward slash survey. Fill it out. You'll be entered for a chance to win a $100 Amazon.com gift card. Uh, There's also that creative market discount code I told you about at the top of the show. Check the link in the show notes for that and save 20% off your next purchase. If we get enough people using that, there may be more discounts like this in the future with other services. Uh, We have to see that that interest is there in order to really pursue it. So save a little money, make that happen. And of course, much thanks to our lovely sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. MailChimp has your back when it comes to emails, and it's perfect for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Sign up for a free account today at MailChimp.com. Hover makes registering and managing domain names really easy. When you have a great idea and you want to secure a domain name for it, Hover's got you covered. Save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code 50EPISODES. Oh, now that I'm thinking about it, our 2014 holiday gift guide comes out next week. Join us for the countdown over on our Facebook page. I think you'll find something that you'll really like this year, as well as a few discounts and other offers. Uh, This episode was edited by R.J. Basilio and produced by yours truly. Our intro is by Music Man Dre, with intro audio by Yellow Speaker. The outro audio, They See Me Growing, is courtesy of Jimmy Square on SoundCloud. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. Leave a rating, leave a review. It really, really means a lot to get that feedback from you guys. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and let us know. Leave a tip in our tip jar, sponsor an upcoming episode, or join at the $5 fist bump level and show your ongoing support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 